having a friend, a colleague, a mentor, a mastermind group where you're getting that accountability for new business owners, they often feel like they're very lonely, right? They operate in isolation. They're the only one that's thinking and caring about their business. But if you develop a really strong cadre of people that you're all in this together, it can start to crack away at it by using the mechanism against itself. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our business, grow our leadership and develop our teams in a way that allows us to get our products and services out of the world, yet still remain profitable? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner, and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Chris, excited about today's guest, Mark Azalea. He is very similar to the podcast guest that we had with John Lee several weeks back, if our listeners remember that. And we cover a lot of different topics. We talk about productivity. We talk about time management. We talk a little bit about mental health. And so I just don't think that this is something that gets enough of attention because we talk a lot about the business end of the business, but we don't talk about just our own, whether it's mental health or how can we be better at our job and personal productivity and personal development. And so a lot of times we're talking about with our guests specific strategies or tactics, how they can be sell more insurance or be more effective in their marketing. But a lot of times we just don't spend the time on personal development. And so I thought it was great having him on. What are a couple of things you picked up from the podcast? Just like you were saying, um, we talked about productivity, we talked about burnout, and we talked about procrastination. And I think burnout and procrastination are simply symptoms of like underlying things that you have going on in your lives, whether it's past trauma, whether it's fears, whether it's anxiety, whatever the case may be. So it's good to uncover what those things are so you can actually work on them. And when you take the time to work on those things, it will take time away from you working on the business. But the actual benefit of you doing that is exponential. So I'm excited to have our listeners listen to Mark go into detail as far as like what's burnout, what's procrastination, and what you can do about it. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into it. Google makes it easy. Swap a card, pay for marketing. Sure, you get a few more phone calls, but they have nothing to do with your business. The truth is Google can't understand the buyer's intent. Enter Matt and Maddie Jonesa, the husband-wife duo adding intention to your online marketing game. As a State Farm agent himself, Matt built his business by maximizing the volume and quality of inbound calls. His success led to the creation of DirectClicks, a company helping insurance agents across the country grow their business through online campaigns. They focus on Google ads so you don't have to spread your budget across the internet. With attention to detail and transparency, they provide monthly review calls exclusivity, and the lowest cost per click. So before you swap that card, contact Matt and Maddie Jones at directclicksinc.com. Again, that's directclicksinc.com. Mark, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Absolutely, Mark. Thank you for reaching out and wanting to be on. We're super excited to have you here. You're another mental health expert, and we're big on that. So we're excited to hear what you have to share with our listeners. Yeah, I'm a mental health professional, a therapist and an organizational consultant out of Boulder, Colorado. And I really help startups, you know, small teams work on their company culture and work on their stress management and organizational 
kind of tiering and setup. So we're going to dig into all of those. We're going to talk about productivity. We'll probably touch on culture, time management, just all the things that if you're listening to this podcast, you're wanting to get better. You're wanting to grow in your business. You're wanting to grow your leadership. You're wanting to develop your team. But before we get into those specific topics, can you just kind of give your background and origin story about how you got interested in this topic and how you got to where you are today? Yeah. So getting interested in this particular topic is I started a nonprofit about five years ago and was surprised by all the leadership stuff that I had to do. Most of my life, I was an employee. And being honest, I was a kind of disgruntled employee where I would gossip about the leader, be like, ah, they're taking all the money, you know, one of those type of people. But until I became a leader and started running my own small company, I realized, one, why leaders get paid way more. And two, all this invisible work that I wasn't aware of. Things like holding employees' emotions, things like visioning and planning for the future, feeling responsible for the people that I was hiring and working with. It was a burden that, frankly, really surprised me. And I was already a mental health professional, already a therapist before that, but I decided to shift my practice to be working more with business leaders because like, our field wasn't focusing on that nearly enough. We were focusing more on people that understandably struggling from drug addiction, severe mental health, but there wasn't enough focus to people that were in positions of leadership, positions of power. And I felt like I could have more impact in my world and community working with those types of people. So how long have you actually been in the world of mental health for? How long have you been a professional in that field? Oh, for eight years. And what was the type of nonprofit that you started? Like, what did it focus on? It's not a sexy nonprofit. It's an educational nonprofit. It was called the Four Corners Group Psychotherapy Society. So it was a training nonprofit where we would train therapists how to run groups, you know, helping facilitate teamwork, projects, communication skills, relationship skills, things like that. So it wasn't so much like saving people around the world, but it was educating professionals at a low cost. That was the mission. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of therapy and I'm very familiar with like how therapists actually go to places like yours where they get not counseling, but more training on how to run group sessions, basically. And the way that I see it, it's like when you're helping a therapist and typically that therapist is helping a business leader, then like you're essentially in a way without trying to stretch out here, helping society because of the fact that like you're teaching to fish the person who calms down the fisherman that provides fish for like AKA jobs and money for their community. Absolutely. Yeah. That was part of the original goal was to have a greater impact. The thing with therapy and private practice, I worked really hard in my business. So I got a full practice very quickly, quicker than most people my age, which is great. But even at that, my impact was maybe 25 people. Mm. So by taking on groups, by doing more training, by doing the corporate and startup stuff that I do now, I feel like I can reach way more people and have more of an impact in the world and start to spread what we do learn in, in my therapeutic training out to a greater audience. Because I feel like a lot of it, even though when you hear it, it sounds like common sense, a lot of it in practice, it's kind of kept in an ivory tower. Therapy is pretty expensive and kind of inaccessible to a lot of people. So I wanted to try to make it more accessible and to bring it into areas like the business sector, like the startup community that typically don't seek it out themselves and try to break the stigma of like, hey, you don't have to be a drug addict or a crazy person to go to therapy. You can do it to self-improve and get better. I've read a lot of self-help books, time management books, and I won't mention any of those specifically because of what I'm about to say, but quite frankly, a lot of them did not work for me. And I don't know if it was my application of what they're saying, or maybe it was my lack of discipline of sticking to it, but very few of them worked. I mean, there was maybe some elements that I had to put together my own system for 
not necessarily just trying to manage time, but quite frankly, just being effective and not just efficient with my time, but just effective. So what are your feelings around time management? Because I know we were going to talk about that. So can you actually specifically touch on time management and maybe that kind of gets into the broader topic of productivity? Yeah. So I'm smiling as you're talking because you are not only my client, but you're also me. So I had the exact same experience where I read a bunch of these books. And I'll go a step further than what you said is not only do I think they were ineffective, is that they're all saying the same thing. And much, there's this right. industry of like printing these books where it's like, if you just read like the three or four core books, you get it, right? Yeah. But there's like hundreds of books that everyone's trying to make their own little twist on it. When I tell the clients that say this exact same thing is that it took me literally six years of therapy to be able to take advice because I had so much emotional resistance and so much unconscious material in my mind that was getting in the way. Hmm. You know, um, I can share a little bit about that for me. And then maybe it resonates with some of you of things like self-sabotage, thinking that I wasn't good enough, didn't deserve it. So much to go into my story. I'm in recovery from drugs. So there was a lot of like self-destruction from that. I'm sober now. I've been sober for 10 years, but there's a lot of self-destruction patterns that came up and was part of procrastination for me and part of not responding to emails or not wanting to get myself successful that arose in that. I have a big anti-authority streak. So when I would read those books, I'd be like, F you, I don't want to do that. You can't tell me what to do. You know, that would be my initial hit. So there was a lot of emotional material from the tradition I'm trained in, which is psychoanalysis, that's called resistance. I had a lot of resistance to being effective in my life and being able to move forward. So it wasn't until I cleared out a lot of that deeper dredge, that emotional stuff and worked through that, that then the advice was able to really sink in. I was able to take it. I got to pull some nuggets out of you, okay? So, I mean, this yeah. podcast is going to a lot of people, but this is we, it is self-help Bradley, okay? Because I want to be better. I want to be more productive. I want to have a better use of my time. I want to be more effective as a leader and just as a human being. I mean, so come on, give me something. Yeah. So, like a skill? Skill, tactic, strategy, skill, tactic, principle. Strategy, how, to, how to make it happen in principle. Okay. So, the very first thing I think is self-organization. Right. What I tell a lot of my clients is the cure to anxiety isn't medication. It isn't therapy. It's organization. So mm -hmm. the very first thing is developing a system. So the book that I use a lot is called Getting Things Done by David Allen. You've yeah. likely heard of it. Super famous. Yeah, right? for sure. Yep. So developing a capture habit where you're writing down, recording things and just starting to get a lay of the land. Being able to see a runway in the future, even if it's just a week to start, is life changing. Taking the time to think tactically and think critically and scheduling it is absolutely critical. In getting things done, it's called the weekly review. But actually taking time where you're planning and then you execute during the rest of the week. So many people make the mistake where they're trying to plan consistently, trying to plan daily, right? Daily to-do list or whatever. But that takes a lot of brain power. It's very easy to follow orders. Being a commander, right? Being a general, that's the hard part. So breaking up the planning and the acting phases can be very, very important. So the idea is that you're doing the work throughout the week, that you're following the orders that you gave yourself on Sunday or whatever, and then you execute. And then you really just don't question it until you get to the next Sunday where you then review and then plan again. Yeah. So by breaking up those two structures, you're able to start to develop more confidence in yourself, right? And confidence in the system. Because if you're recording, you're planning, your brain will start to realize, hey, there's an external repository for all of these things. I don't have to keep reminding myself through anxiety, like, hey, did you do this? Oh, don't forget about that. Hey, did you do that? That's what anxiety is, right? It's just constant pinging. Yeah, right? I mean, I live there, right? Constant pinging. But it's until you get 
this idea of having an external kind of hard drive become a cyborg, essentially, you can start to trust and the anxiety goes down. You can be more present and effective in the moment. All right. So I want to get your opinion on this. So I was first introduced to the concept of thinking time from Keith Cunningham. And so it's now part of my coaching program whenever I'm coaching others. As I say, listen, if there's one single thing that you absolutely must do, business is an intellectual sport. Business is an intellectual sport. And so therefore, you cannot make decisions based on your gut or your glands. And I'll tell people, hey, gut stands for gave up thinking. Okay, so having it in your week scheduled that you're going to actually have thinking time. And Keith goes into a whole concept about that, about how to actually do that and to write things down. Because otherwise, we make decisions based on emotions, both positive emotions, where we just think everything's great and we're going to go hire five people or we're going to go buy that boat or something like so we always make decisions most people make decisions based on emotion and then they justify those logically right so here's my question i want to get your feedback as to why for our small business owners that's listening to this why is thinking time and you might call it something else but why is thinking and setting aside time in your week to actually think about the business i mean i think the most important thing you can do for the business is to think about the business why do you believe that that is so important yeah I mean, for the reasons that you said, I think it's so important, right? What I say is like work on your business, not in your business. So having time to work on your business and developing structure, strategies, policies is really critical. The way that I frame it to people that I work with is you want to make up the rules and policies when you're sane, because in those moments when you're insane, you want to have something you can fall back on, right? Where you're being swamped by emotion or you didn't make rent. You know, I mean, hopefully people aren't in that situation, but who knows with COVID or you have to fire somebody. There's a you know, crisis that happens. You, you know, disappoint a client. Your brain is firing. You want to have these sane policies that you can go back to and be like, okay, here it is. I will also say why it's so hard. And this is where I come in as a mental health professional is that it's so difficult. It's a no brainer to do it, but to actually do it, means encountering a lot of those negative emotions that I think many people, I think especially men, unfortunately, don't have a lot of experience with emotions. Especially new business owners go to think about their business. What they feel most of the time is shame, regret, disappointment, incompetence. They feel these negative emotions because their business in the beginning is not where they want it to be. And for many people, that shuts them down, right? The prospect of actually feeling that shuts them down. And we're taught, I do a lot of men's work, we're taught as men just to like, put her head down and just go harder, right? Just go harder, push more. But like what you said, that's not tactical. That's not intelligent, right? It's just like the bull charging forward. I say for my guys, it's like being a barbarian with an ax versus being a samurai, right? If you're a samurai, you just do one stroke and it's done, right? It's very effective, very graceful. Wow. I love the analogy. I love the analogy a lot. So thank you for sharing that with me and with our listeners. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue and increase your bottom line? Club Capital is here to help. Built for agents by agents, so we know your struggles. With accounting, payroll, and HR solutions, tax services, analytics, and more, let's get you on the path to serious success. Using data-driven insights, you'll grow your business based on revenue and expense comparisons alongside your top-performing peers. With over $100 million in tracked annual revenue and $70 million in tracked annual expenses, we have the data to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. Let's make your back office less of a hassle and more of the strategic generator that powers the growth to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book your complimentary, no obligation demo. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. So 
as you know, most of our listeners are business owners, specifically in the world of insurance. They can range anywhere from being super tenure, being 20, 30 years in the business to agents who are going to be opening up like next month or in the next couple of months. Regardless of their tenure, they all seem to struggle with two ailments, two things, which are burnout and procrastination. So I know that you're an expert when it comes to this. So maybe if you could give us an educated overview of what exactly is burnout, what exactly is procrastination, and what you can do to prevent getting there. And lastly, what to do once you are in burnout or once you are in procrastination. Yeah, those are really common topics I come up in some of the development work that I do. I'll take them one at a time just so we have time to talk about each one. Um, yeah, yeah. I know that I just threw like six questions your way. So <laughs> I was like counting I was counting the questions in my head as I was throwing them, but I was just like, this is where we can go with this right here. This is going to be a Barry Rutten length podcast here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me start with burnout. So what I see burnout is a little bit different than what other people say. So the traditional definition of burnout is you're working too hard. It's like you work too hard, you're not doing self-care and your body starts to shut down and your willpower fails. Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of truth to that. But what I see with the guys that I work with is there's actually a level deeper, which when I define burnout, it's not living in line with your values. When people feel like they're living a fake life or they've worked really hard and they haven't gotten the thing that they wanted, whether it be for a lot of my guys being kind of younger in their 30s, a lot of it's women, right? A lot of it's like, I worked really hard and now I'm still single and alone. And I go to bed and watch Netflix and like eat ramen noodles. Like, why am I working so hard? Or it's they're not physically active. Maybe they got into it so they could have the money to travel the world, but now they're just working so much, they don't ever get to travel the world. Or they're doing business practices that are ethically gray, or they feel like they're acting out of cowardice, or they know they should be doing something, but they, for whatever reason, don't have the courage to make it happen. So they're betraying their values. There's this micro betrayal of values that's happening consistently. And the difficulty of burnout is it's kind of this self-repeating cycle, right? It's a positive feedback loop. So the more one gets burned out, the more burned out one becomes. So it gets very difficult to dig yourself out of that. So that's the definition. You guys want to jump in or just try to move into what to do about it? No, I mean, I think that's true. I mean, because action begets action. And so it makes sense that burnout will just cause ultimately more burnout. So I guess my question would be, how do you break that cycle? How do you break that loop, you know, the doom loop? Right. So I mean, the very first is be aware which is kind of the cliche advice, but I think it does really help to start to notice when you're betraying your values. And, you know, again, I'm always going to go with the deeper layer because I am a psychoanalyst, but the first part of that is knowing what your values are. And many of the startups that I work with, and I would likely guess that many people listen to this podcast, don't really have a clear mission statement. Or if they did, maybe they wrote it 15 years ago. Doing the work of actually writing a code writing like, you know, Bushido down essentially, right? Of like, who are you? What do you want to be in the world? What is actually important to you? And doing that from a place of honesty, not from a place of what the culture tells you to do or what your family told you to do, but really having a solid cold both for you first and then your business can help to qualify what kind of culture you want, how you make decisions. Again, sane policies for those moments when you are insane. Because you can start to be like, okay, how am I judging these two options, right? Option A, option B. Okay, great. I can judge it against my values. And even though option A is like harder, Mm -hmm. I know that I'm not going to be betraying myself or betraying my team if I go with it. And that cost, that emotional cost going for the cheaper, quicker option is often, you're often paying more for that because you get more of that burnout. So that's step one. Awareness, identify values, write it down ideally and renew it regularly, 
when you start to feel lost, you start to feel confused, you start to feel burned out, review, okay, yeah, this is why I'm in it for. And if you're not in it, you can compare what is not working towards those and just start to slash. That's something else that I really recommend a lot of my startups do is they start to slash. A lot of people are afraid, especially when they're starting to taste success, they're afraid of either getting rid of people, changing policies, dropping problematic clients, because they're like, I need this. I finally got there. I need this. But the way that I see business development is that it's a constant refinement. It's a constant optimization and it's a constant conversation of trying to build the business and ultimately the lifestyle that you want. And that requires telling people no, which as I'm sure you all know, is really tough for new professionals, even maybe for old professionals, because they feel like they're leaving money on the table, you know, or they're missing an opportunity. But again, the emotional cost of working with particular clients, or maybe you have to do a long commute, or maybe you have to sell a product that you know is kind of sketchy. The emotional cost of that is way, way, way more and much more nefarious than the fiscal cost or the fiscal gain, I guess, that you get from doing that. I'm curious about your response to this. You mentioned about having a personal mission statement and maybe one for your business. So Simon Sinek talks a lot about your why, okay? And he specifically says your why for you personally and for your business should be the same because people don't necessarily say, well, that's Bradley the person or then that's Bradley the business owner. You are who you are is what he says, okay? What is your opinion of that? And maybe the why gets a little bit different than the mission statement. And so some of these things end up being used in exchange from one another. And that may in and of itself be wrong. I would just love to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah, I think it's a little more nuanced than that, than being the same thing. The way that I phrase it with some of my guys, and I also want to say that there's certainly an element of privilege to a lot of this, right? To be able to have enough success and enough means to have a life that's in line, to have a job that's in line with what your life mission is, right? I mean, that's such a gift. It's such a gift. Yeah, that's true. There's so many people that just have shit jobs. So the idea here, the way I phrase it with some of the clients I work with is I phrase it, how do you want to participate? Because when they come to see me, I'm assuming we share a value of participating in society, participating in civilization, participating in community. And ideally, you can get paid to participate, right? Ideally, if your business is really working and those mission statements are the same, then you're getting paid to participate in the way that you want. But I think participation is much greater than just what you do for work right? It's the idea of what impact you want to have on people. What legacy do you want to leave? For like a better word, what vibe do you want to put out? What little slice of reality do you want to cultivate? What do you care about? Is it the environment? Is it other people? Is it education, right? How do you want to participate in this project that we're all doing, right? This American project, this civilization project, this community project. I think that's a really important question for people to ask because I found when people don't want to participate in society, that gets to depression, drug addiction, mental health, right? finding ways to find belonging in a community. So all that to say, I think if you can align those, then you're living the dream, right? Because then your life is reinforcing those values, reinforcing that mission statement, and you feel like every day you're participating in the way that you want to. I think where it gets a little bit more nuanced is the bigger your company gets, weirdly enough, the more narrow it has to be, the more niche it has to be in what it actually does. So the mission statement shrinks. It becomes like, we just do this product and we do it really, really well, right? We are the best running app in the world, or we are the best accounting software ever. And that's really different than, hey, I really want to help people manage their money and avoid financial crisis. That's a much broader statement. So the startups that I work with often start broad and then over time, narrow, narrow, narrow. So the mission statement becomes a element of the personal statement, but the personal statement then transfers to leadership. Okay, how do I want to be a leader? What do I want to give out to the people that I work with? How do I want to benefit my community through having jobs or creating a nice place to work, et cetera, et cetera? So 
it shifts around like that. So you might have touched on this, but I definitely don't want to talk in circles. Knowing what burnout is, once you find yourself in burnout, what can you do to prevent yourself? Like what preventive work can you do to prevent even getting to burnout? Yeah. The way I look at this is to always be weighing sacrifices. So I have a uh, business mentor and he said, you know, when you're young, the question is, what do you want to do? It's all about opportunity, about potential. It's go out there, achieve your dreams. But once you get older, it's about what do you want to sacrifice? What do you want to give up? And that hadn't been true for me until the past couple of years. And now it's like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. My decisions are more about what am I willing to give up in service of something bigger? I think many people can fall back into burnout because they continue to sacrifice, again, their values, their physical health, their family time, their friend time. They start to give up all of that, usually in the pursuit of money, the pursuit of status, the pursuit of expansion. And it gets really tricky. So when thinking about the cost you're going to pay for taking on that extra client or the cost you're going to pay for getting that bigger office or for hiring, like you said, Brad, those five employees, know that it's not all positive, that every choice is actually very nuanced. And sometimes that's the right choice to make. I'm not saying don't expand, right? Expansion is great, but be more aware of the emotional, the social, for some people, even spiritual footprint that decisions make. I think that's a big one. I think also for particularly startup founders and maybe people that listen to this podcast that are newer, they don't have a diverse life. All their life is based on their insurance company. All the life is based on, okay, did I make a sale today or did I not? Their life is, okay, did I call my 25 people or not? Their life is very narrow. So their mental state is tied almost one-to-one with how much money and how successful their business is. I think you can avoid that phase. I think that phase is actually very critical to stand out from the pack, but you can't live in that phase. It's not a sustainable phase to be in. So diversifying the life by finding other parts of the identity, feeding other parts of the soul, creative outlets, social outlets, physical outlets, so that, yeah, if your business is sucking right now, which is, spoiler, going to happen, right, you still have other things. Be like, hey, at least I crushed that bike ride, or I can't wait to go on that backpacking trip, or my daughter's doing really great in school right now. There's other things that can bolster the emotional state by having a more diverse identity. I want to ask you, are you familiar with the work from Benjamin Hardy, Willpower Doesn't Work? Have you read that book? I've not read that book. So he talks about several things, but he really talks about your environment and how the environment plays into you are the products of your environment. Effectively, he calls it enriched environments. Can you speak to that specifically about just the colors of the room that you're in, what's on the walls, all of those things and how much that impacts your mood and your energy and your productivity? Can you just talk about that a little bit? Because everything we've been talking about so far has been from the inside out as opposed from the outside in. And there's even the book Presence that was written by Amy Cuddy that talks about how your physical state can impact your mental state too. So can you just touch on those two things? That is a very important piece. So my graduate education was actually in Buddhist psychotherapy. So I learned from this from a Buddhist perspective and the Buddhist word for it is called drala. And essentially what drala is in the lore, it's like these like little fairies that land on you and whisper inspiration into your ear, but they only arrive when your environment is primed for them. And the way to prime their environment is to stay organized, have motivation, create an environment that's safe for you. What that looks like, I don't really subscribe to the idea of like, oh, if you paint your room red, you're going to be more angry. I don't think it's that simple, but it does require this constant mindfulness practice that you can notice that when you look at something, there is this very quick mental phenomenon of good or bad. Buddhists will call it passion, aggression, or ignorance. So it's one of those three that you feel when you experience like a sensation. And those build up over time. 
Right. So, you know, if I was here recording and I had like a pile of garbage in this corner, every time I would see that I'd get aggressive, right? I have a moment of like, oh, what the hell? And it's a little moment. And then I would turn my face and look at you guys and like not really see it. But maybe I catch it in the background if I move around and I get that little, oh, oh, what the hell is that? And those little moments start to shift the mind. They start to downshift the mind. And the more of that that happens, you can get, I think what you're saying, Brad, into these mental states where you're just bitter, you're angry. For some people, it brings up shame, depression, guilt, this constant thing where the environment is reinforcing these negative attitudes. Very similarly, you can do it with positive things. For me, I love doing home repairs and home stuff. So when I build something and I make my house like very slightly, at this point, like marginally more efficient, the emotional payoff I get is substantial. I look at this like, oh, yeah, I put that shelf there. That's like really good. I can't believe I put the shelf there. You know, oh, I put that guard disposal button like two inches to the left, which really works for me or whatever, you know, like very small things. But those positive upticks can really help. So I think where that can move into in the work environment is things like art that you like, pictures that you like, music, colors, really taking time to build a space. And I would say even more powerfully building systems building systems, building reminders, building aromatherapy, building alarms, systems that will operate independent of your mental state and are designed to shift your mental state regardless. It goes into a bigger topic of habit formation and behavior modification, but those things can start to create healthy habits, essentially, that build a more sustainable workplace. Awesome. I want to ask you about another book because I saw it on your website whenever I was just taking a look at your work. And every time I see it, it makes me say, oh man, I need to go back and read that book because I tend to drift away from it. And it's Cal Newport's book, Deep Work. And it's increasingly becoming so important because we have so many different distractions that we tend to work very shallow. I mean, we were just talking earlier about thinking and just having the discipline to set aside an hour a time. I mean, when I'm working with somebody and say, can you set an hour aside a week just to think about your business? Initially, I was like, yeah, of course. Of course I can do. And they get really committed to, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And for me personally, I cannot think when I'm in, I cannot do deep work, period. So I can't think about the business and I cannot do deep work about any of the businesses when I'm in the walls of the offices. No way. Never happens. I mean, I do some of my best thinking and creative time whenever either I'm on vacation or I'm driving, whenever I'm not looking at my phone and checking emails, et cetera. So not for you to comment fully on Cal's book, but just I would love your thoughts about the concepts from that book and why it's so difficult for us as business owners to actually do the deep work that's necessary, which includes thinking in our businesses. Yeah. I mean, that book is great. And it's one of those few books that changed my life. You know, we talked earlier about finding some of the core books. I put that as one of the core books. And if you're looking to learn how to focus, protect the time to think deeply and to create these systems that we've been talking about, that is the book. Every other book, I think, pulls from that and kind of waters it down. But deep work is like, that's the originator. I mean, I think the question of why it's hard goes back to what I was saying earlier. I think there's a large emotional toll, a hidden emotional toll that business owners are not aware of. And when they come to sit down, they start to feel things like, oh, thinking means I'm not working. Like, oh, I could just be doing calls right now, or I could just be checking someone's work right now, or I could be working on my social media right now, right? It seems very low priority, but that's the emotion of wanting to avoid having those more tactical general level discussions or thinking. I think it can really highlight people's flaws 
especially for solar entrepreneurs. I think we were talking about this briefly, but with the mission statement, but it's the same thing of if you're the business, the business is also you. So issues that the business has, whether it's around things like burnout or procrastination or dropping clients, those issues are also your own personal issues. And for a lot of the people I work with, that's the gateway into psychotherapy because they're like, yeah, like for some reason, I just can't call my clients back and I'm just losing money. And turns out they also can't call their girlfriend back, right? It's like, it's the same thing because it's just them again. So by having that time to think tactically, think critically, I think it highlights a lot of flaws that for many people are deeply personal, that they know are bigger than just them as a worker. It's them as a human, something that they've had for a very long time. And luckily, working on it in a business sense is often easier than working on it in a personal sense, but it is one of those perfect mirrors. So I think it's really vulnerable and difficult for people for that. As far as how to do deep work, I think having a separate protected, and protected is really the main word here, time and location, which is certainly harder with COVID, people having to work from home, especially if they live with other people or you know live with families, but having a door and a wall between you and the rest of the world like what you said, Brad, going on a drive or going outside can be very helpful for me. I do a lot for backpacking. I always bring a little notebook when I'm backpacking because ideas will just kind of strike me after I've been hiking for miles. It's like, oh yeah, there it is. You know, having time really separate and protected away from the constant stimulation of my phone or my email or whatever it is, that's really critical. And then setting up the environment for success. The big thing I learned from deep work, which is important, he has this thing where he pulls up from this research from like concert level violinists. And he says that they can only practice for about three, two and a half, three hours, and then their productivity just tanks. And I'd like to believe that I'm effective. I think I'm pretty effective, but I'm not that good, right? So luckily, my productivity level tanks at like two hours. So I think a lot of business owners, whether they be new or tenured, have this bull mentality where it's like, I'm just going to grind for six hours. But what happens is that pretty quickly, the tank runs out. So deep work, even though it's very powerful, it's not working all day, right? It's actually working in controlled, really intense bursts. And then allowing a long time actually to recover, to rest, to get more brain glycogen, you know, to get some physical activity, do some mindfulness practice, talk with somebody, like shift your brain so you can go back into another spurt of deep work. I want to go and talk about the other side of burnout, which is procrastination. So same thing, if you could go with like definition, what to do about it and how to avoid it. Not in one sentence, by the way, you can take your time. (laughs) (laughs) So procrastination this is a good topic. I'd have done many like workshops and webinars on procrastination. I'll say the thing that maybe you don't hear a lot, because I think you've probably heard about procrastination, but the thing they don't hear a lot is that it works. Is that for many people, we were taught to procrastinate in school. Many people procrastinate starting in middle school, high school, into college, and got by. Didn't really suffer too many consequences for procrastinating. And the issue is that once life got harder, they didn't learn study skills, which is essentially what it is. So they get crushed by life. They get stuck at a certain glass ceiling where it's like, yeah, it'll work up to a point. But then at some point, you need to really do more of this deep work and tactical thinking, yada, yada, yada stuff. So it does work for a lot of people. But what it does is it runs on a couple things. One, it runs on fear. The anxiety is the main fuel. It's like, oh, my God, I have this test tomorrow morning. Or, oh, my God, I really got to like do X, Y, and Z. So it's like the anxiety, the fear is what propels the person to motivate which is a highly effective fuel, right? Fear, hatred, revenge, just like dark side of the force stuff, like very effective, but has massive consequences for stress, relationships, burnout. It's like running on kerosene. It's highly explosive, but creates a ton of pollution. It's effective in that it's like a big jolt of energy. And what is also what I find, again, a level deeper is that it reinforces the hero mentality. 
And I want to talk a little bit about that because many entrepreneurs have this because the character traits that go into entrepreneurship or go into business ownership also have hero complexes, which is the idea of being an underdog, right? The idea of surmounting impossible odds, the idea of coming through in the clinch. And procrastination reinforces that of like, you know what? I prepared for this presentation last minute in two hours and I crushed it. I secured like $100,000 of funding. There's a sense of being a hero. There's a sense of like being smarter, better. There's a grandiosity that comes with procrastination going right. Because it's like, look, I didn't have to try. But look, I'm crushing X, Y, and Z. So there's this, again, self-reinforcing thing about procrastinating. What I help to shift some of my clients, another metaphor that I use, is the difference between competition and domination. When you're competing, that's procrastinating. When you're competing, you're going in, you're fighting, right? You might win, you might lose, but there's this kind of struggle and it's very exciting. Domination means you win every time. And it's actually pretty boring, right? It's actually pretty boring because there isn't a struggle, right? You're just dominating. And the example I use is gardening. If you don't take care of your garden for a long time and there's weeds and brambles and stuff and you go out there and you've got your chainsaw, I guess, I don't know, or scythe and you're cutting through everything, Again, at the end of the day, you're going to get your garden beautiful and you're going to feel like really powerful. You're going to feel like you competed. You feel like you like did something heroic. You really like cleaned up the garden. Now it's incredible. If you're dominating gardening, what you're doing is you're going out every day and you're picking like two or three weeds, right? It's not very exciting, but the garden never even gets close to that brambly, nasty mess. So for a lot of people, there's this kind of secondary gain, unconscious gain, where Living a life of not procrastinating means their general life intensity really flattens down. It really gets a lot more boring and a lot more consistent. And I would say mainly young people, I was part of it. We don't value that. We think that that's failure. We think that that's losing. Um, it feels like we're not working hard enough or we're not competing at the level that we want to. But again, we're actually dominating, right? You're actually just winning because it is that kind of slow chipping away that ends up winning over time. So what do you do when you find yourself procrastinating? Yeah. So a lot of those things, I mean, this is a tough part because the solution is like, just do the thing, <laughs> right? It's the same with like depression. Depression is like, just get out of your bed and exercise, right? Like the solutions are really, really simple. But again, me as an intelligent professional, there's always a deeper reason, right? There's always some of these more deeper ideas of procrastination, either being reinforced as a child or self-sabotage or this hero complex thing that I talked about. So there's deeper work to do to actually get over a lot of that emotional resistance. Because the thing is, it's like, sit down and do it. Sit down and do it. Sit down and do it at a very small step. Work for five minutes and you often find yourself working for longer, break things down into smaller chunks, find an accountability buddy. All these things that we hear in all these books seem simple. But when you try to do them, and I imagine maybe both of you have had the experience, I certainly had this experience, there's this wall, there's this like emotional like thing that just like drops down. And there's a very common phrase in psychotherapy, which is, if it's hysterical, it's historical, right? If you're having a hysterical reaction, like a ridiculous reaction of like, really, I can't write an email, like it send me all day to send one email. And I'm just in this like crazy anxiety place. That's a pretty good signal that there's something historical that's being triggered, right? It's not about the email. It's about something that's been with you a very long time, something from your childhood, maybe a small trauma or even a large trauma that you've endured, right? There's something bigger that's being triggered in the brain and shutting you down. So I guess that's kind of the, the message that I'm on this podcast to share is that there's this call for deeper work. There's this call for really trying to understand those hysterical reactions and without judgment, but to really remove those blockages on that emotional level. Got it. And on a practical level, yeah. what's something that you could do either on a 
daily or weekly or even monthly basis to prevent getting to procrastination? Yeah, I found the most important thing, especially for younger people and newer people, is having accountability buddies, right? Having a friend, colleague, a mentor, a mastermind group where you're getting that accountability for new business owners. They often feel like they're very lonely, right? They operate in isolation. They're the only one that's thinking and caring about their business. So finding communities of like-minded individuals that they're actually holding each other accountable consistently, it can help break with procrastination because you're creating deadlines, but you're creating deadlines with other people. Because the issue with new business owners, if we're creating deadlines with ourselves, we're also, we're like, we're the teacher and the student. So we can very easily just kick the deadline back and be like, oh, you know, it was a tough week or like, oh, I had some other stuff going on. But if you develop a really strong cadre of people that you're all in this together, it can start to crack away at it by using the mechanism against itself. So instead of procrastinating a big time at the end of the month, for example, you're procrastinating a little bit four times a month, right? At each of those meetings, you have to check in with somebody and you have to get your thing done. So I find that that's a helpful first step just to try to use the mechanism against itself instead of breaking it entirely. Last question, we're going to go into Enon. Why is it on Friday before I go on a long vacation, I am a productivity ninja? Why? Why? I think it's probably the procrastination thing that Chris was talking about, right? wanting to clear things off your plate so that you can relax, wanting to resolve something to manage the stress that you're going to feel in the future. Or maybe it's this idea of maybe there's a motivating fear of like, oh my God, if I'm gone for a week on this vacation, everything's going to fall apart. And there's a burst of energy that happens there. It used to happen to me is that I would go on these like conferences for like 10 days, right? And I would send out a bunch of like leads. I would generate a bunch of leads like the week before because I was like, I just need to do something. And then they would inevitably get back to me while I'm at the conference. And then I couldn't respond to them because I'm doing like the other thing, right? It was like this nervous busyness of like wanting not to fail was really the big thing for me. My unconscious motivator was like, I need to have new business coming in because in the event that I lose everything during this week, I need to be okay, which was not a healthy motivator, right? Again, it's motivating by fear, motivating by anxiety. So I don't know if that's true for you, but that's what happened for me when I used to do that behavior. All right, Mark, you ready for the world famous E9 rapid fire questions? Let's do it. What's the last book that you read? The last book I read was Neuromancer, which is a cyberpunk book. Oh, okay. I, I don't read those books. Not putting that one on my bookshelf. <laughs> <laughs> Getting into fiction again. What podcast, blog, or book would you recommend the most to others? I think the most book I'd recommend to others. I mean, I think getting things done is really good. I think it's just like the best personal organizational system out there. That's one of those books that very clearly changed my life. I think for your male listeners, there's a book called Iron John, which is about males, masculinity, coming of age, things that when our generations, millennials, Gen X's, and even some boomers didn't really get. That book also really changed my life. Of, And it's a taboo book now. Because talking about masculinity is weird in the current political climate, but it's an incredible book that I recommend to any of your male listeners. If you were not doing what you do today, what do you think you would be doing? I'd love to do something like crafty. I'd love to be like building furniture or creating art, like welding or something. I, I always have a proclivity to build things with my hands. Who inspires you? Who do you follow? A lot of people. I, I like Joe Rogan. I like, <laughs> I love that guy. I like Grant Cardone. I like hearing some of Elon Musk, actually. I like Gary Vaynerchuk. I mean, those are a lot of my business type people. 
when I was early in my career and didn't find actual mentors, I didn't have the money or the resources to find them. I got a lot out of YouTube and a lot out of audiobooks and podcasts. And I felt like they were my mentors starting off. What's a favorite place that you've traveled to? I traveled to Iceland recently, and that was really, really cool. Oh, that's cool. I smoked some cigars and ashed them in a volcano. That was a life win for me. Nice, nice. That sounds really awesome. (laughs) What's one thing you cannot live without? Probably this punching bag that's behind me. I love this thing. I do that every morning just to get heart rate up and also work out some aggression. It was kind of a weird thing to mount on the wall, but it's very important, I think, to just get the day started right. How about throughout the day? I've been looking at that thing behind you. I think I'm going to put one in my office, you know, get off a phone call and be like, oh, man, I'm just going to go to the punch bag for about five minutes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes if I get pissed, I'll just like, I mean, hitting it really hard is also very fun. Just one haymaker. It's a good stress reliever. Forget about stress balls. Punching bags are the new thing. Your favorite non-native iPhone app. I'm assuming you have an iPhone. You may not. I have a Pixel phone. Um, okay. What's your favorite non-native Pixel phone app? I think, you know what, Evernote. I think if we're doing sticking with the productivity thing, I think Evernote is a productivity app that I like the most. I like Evernote. I've used Evernote for a long time. I mean, that's where I actually dump all of my ideas into is, is Evernote. It was king of the hill for a while, then it kind of fell off. But honestly, I've got a lot of stuff in Evernote. I always tell people, if I die, somebody grab my Evernote. That's where all my thoughts are. 100%. Yeah. I mean, that's my organizational system. It's all in Evernote. What's your favorite non-work hobby? Non-work hobby is backpacking, for sure. It's the opposite of work for me. It's just spending days, if not a week, in the woods away from most people. No technology, no cell phones. It's the most renewing thing that I do. All right. It is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. So what's the best piece of leadership advice you've ever been given? Find other leaders. Like find and talk to other leaders is, I think, the best piece of advice that I've ever been given. And not to use your employees or the people that work with you for emotional support or validation or anything because that's not their job. They're not going to give it to you. So finding other people that are in the same boat that get it, I think it's really important. Mark, it's been great having you on. If somebody wants to know more about you and how they could work with you, what's the best way for them to be able to get in touch with you? Yeah, the best way is just go to the website, which is uh, www.mark-azulay.com. There you have videos that I've done, book recommendations, blogs, all the social media stuff. But the website's the hub for everything. Very cool. Mark, hope to have you on in the future. Okay. Yeah, I'd love to do it. Take care, sir. Take care. Bradley, I can't say this enough about all of our guests, but I really do mean it. I am so grateful that Mark came on the podcast to give us the jewels on mental health. And something that I walked away with is his take on burnout. I love the fact that he highlights how burnout can actually be not living in line with your values. And one example that he gave is how you might be a person who says like, I am a brave, confident person, right? But then if you are also a person who says that to themselves and then you take a long time to answer an email, you delay calling a client because you're afraid of what they might say to you, then you are breaking integrity with yourself. You're not living within your values. And that's a microaggression to yourself. Like that's you breaking a contract with yourself, which takes an emotional toll on you. And when you do that over and over and over in a day, it can lead to you feeling bad, which eventually can lead to you feeling burnt out. So it's important to realize what you're doing so you can break the cycle. And I just love the fact that he highlighted that because it's something that we don't think about enough. What's something that you walked away with, Bradley? Lonely at the top. 
I mean, it's lonely at the top being a small business owner. I mean, you're surrounded by customers, you're surrounded by your team, but yet still there's these times that you can just, you feel lonely. And so just, we covered a lot of different things. We touched on a lot of different books. I mean, whenever he talks about, if you've not read the book by David Allen, Getting Things Done, the GTD method, I think is fantastic. You're right. I mean, we touched on time management, productivity. One thing that's really specific that I took away with is just the conversation we had about thinking timing, the importance of working on the business, not always in the business and getting away from the office to really plan in the Getting Things Done book. They talk about it called the weekly review. In our coaching program, we talk about Sunday planning. So very similar. I think just the range of topics we discussed in this podcast with Mark, I think is going to be really helpful to everyone, regardless of where you are and where you want to be. I think everybody can pick up on a couple of little things to help them be more productive and help them be more effective and ultimately help them do what the point of this podcast is to do. And that's to grow their business, grow their leadership and grow and develop their team. So that was great. If you would like to know more about Mark, visit his website at Mark. It's M-A-R-C dash com. Mark dash azalea.com. And of course, we'll put the link into his website and the email that we send out and also into the podcast show notes. Hey, it's 2020. We're recording this just the beginning of September of 2020. It's been a heck of a year. But in the insurance industry, rates are dropping for a lot of different companies. People are shopping their insurance at all time highs. Do you want to capture some of those hot leads? for your salespeople to be able to convert them. If you do, there's no better way than to contact our friends, Matt and Maddie Jones at directclicksinc.com, directclicksinc.com. We appreciate their partnership and their continued support of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Chris, this is a good one. Until next time, lead well. And stay classy.